I've been quite lucky, I think. Um, the crew, the, there's a few crew members that's been with us for 25 years or so. Um, and they say my voice has changed slightly, but it still carries, got a good tone, but it's a bit huskier, a bit lower maybe, a bit uh, mustier maybe, but it still carries. And they've seen it develop. I don't particularly do so much. I mean, when I meet other singers that are great, we just agree on one thing, try to get sleep and, and, and uh, try not to drink too much alcohol and stuff, because then you can repair your vocal cords every night. I mean, that's the trick. When you're young, you can get away with it. You party and in your 20s, you, you still sing the next day and it sort of works. But as you um, progress into uh, being a more mature band, you know, you, you gotta, there's a few things, but other than that, I mean, I have some exercises I can do if I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some. I mean, there have been gigs where I've gone to, into the other guys and I told them, I can't sing today. But, you know, you got to back me up, you know. And there's only a few options. You send for some obscure doctor to give you some cortisol. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people write it out like that. Some yeah. do. Uh, you just start drinking tea and honey and hope for the best, you know, but get some sleep and things work out. I've been lucky. My voice have um, held up. Yeah. So far, touch wood, pretty good. Yeah, well, Thank it's, you, it's, by it the sounded way. great. And, uh, and I mean, I guess with, with your guys, with, you know, the way that your songs are written uh, and, and recorded and, and the way that you guys play them, it's kind of like, I mean, the, the, there are some great backing vocal parts, but like, uh, if you're not in top form, like, yeah, we then didn't. It's not going to be the real Europe. No, you're right. We didn't do that many harmony work, that much harmony it's work. Like a lot of bands big did. Voices. Yeah. Big voices over rock and roll. Yeah, I remember doing War of Kings and Walk the Earth, uh, the last few albums, and I spoke to Dave Cobb, our producer, and he said, "Why don't we just use the voice to carry it? You know, let's not do too many background vocals. It's, and then have the guitars and the drums speak, so it becomes more volume and and it can breathe." And uh, yeah, and therefore it's even more important live that yeah. the voice can carry that it, it. That, it yeah. that it holds up. Yeah. Um, so you guys are in fine form. You know, you've you're, you've made a run of recent albums that really mm. kind of stand up with with the you know the big records in the eighties. Um, what are some of the tracks from these most recent albums that that you're you know most proud of? Because obviously, living in the streaming age, like. If people check out Europe's music, yeah. they're just going to go straight onto the juggernaut hits like Final Countdown yeah. and Carrie and stuff. So what, what are the things in the recent records that you think hold up as well as your finest work? Well, if we start very recent, we recorded Walk the Earth in Abbey Road um, just a while ago now. And together we wrote this, the title track, Walk the Earth. And we just looked at each other and said, this is, so, it feels as good as what we did a long time ago. This is one of the strongest things we feel ourselves, and we've been playing it live now for a while. You, you saw it right yeah. at all. We opened the show with it. That's a it good a track. track. That's a good track to check us out what we're doing today. today. Uh, War of Kings is another track a few years back, also produced by Dave Cobb. And um, Last Look at Eden is another track that we love playing live, and it goes down well with the fans. So there's a few tracks. Firebox, great track. And so there's, there's a few, there's a few, yeah. And uh, we, we were just talking earlier about Thin Lizzy. What are some of the bands going back to the beginning that made Europe want to play music, made, made you guys want to come together and be musicians? Like, who were your early influences? 
when we met, then we sort of um, had in common bands like uh, probably Deep Purple, very important, Made in Japan, we consider being the Bible for live rock music or rock music. Uh, made, uh, Deep Purple also did Made in Europe, where I nicked the name Europe from <laughs> on the train station one day. I had a, I had a cleaning job uh, just before it started the, the band. And I was sitting there thinking, ladies and gentlemen, welcome tonight on stage. And I was trying different names. And I, I, I thought of that live album. <laughs> I thought of that live album, Deep Purple. Said, Europe. <sighs> yeah, that could work. It's Probably, a great name. <laughs> yeah, well, I have this theory. If you, if you have a decent band, your name will be okay. Yeah. If yeah, you don't have a decent band, your name can easily be bad. Yeah, so it helps to have good music because not many names are super great, I think. But but uh, I remember presenting the name to the guys. I had to get get them a little bit drunk actually because I was a bit nervous. We were going to switch from force to Europe. Yeah, because he was called Force first. That's you? right. And there was another band called Rising Force, Yngwie's band. And he was in town. We knew Yngwie Malmsteen well. And also there was a record with a UFO called Force It. So we thought, no, maybe we should move away. And then I got him a little bit drunk. And I said, guys, what do you think of this? Come on, tell us, tell us. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, Europe. And they got all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> they were quiet for long. It took a few days. They got back to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's try that. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, and I've I, I read that you, you, know, you guys started, like, when you first played, you weren't right, like many bands. You, you, were, you were jamming in rehearsal rooms, playing other people's songs, and you, yeah. you were the guy who kind of came in and said, I think we should start writing our own material. Yeah, we were, we were doing covers, because John Norum, just, the guitar player, just blew me away. I mean, he, I saw him play when he was 14, I was 15. I said, I have to, I have to form a band with this guy. So... One way or another, we got forced together. But we, we played covers, Lissy songs, or UFO, Deep Purple, and he knew, John knew that I wrote songs for my earlier bands. So why don't you bring some songs to rehearsal and we've got to move on, and yeah, sure. And he was so, he encouraged me so much. That's why I've always been in, in, in debt to John for being so encouraging for songwriting. And As I was with the guitar player. When this started? Talk about like meeting when you were 14, 15? Yeah, we probably, probably started rehearsing then when we were 15, 16. Wow. Uh, yeah. Really cool. Yeah. And you guys, you know, you're still playing today. We did. We played some s silly shows, but we rehearsed most of the time. We rehearsed a lot. And I remember Ingvi Malmsen did the same thing in Stockholm where he lived. And he heard about us. And we were rehearsing bands. We wanted to learn our instruments. That's, that's how we did it, you know. We didn't gig that much in the beginning. We just played and played and played. And How often did you rehearse? Oh, it could be, sometimes it could be three, four days in a row and then, then some time off um, for also hanging out and partying. partying and and yeah. yeah, yeah, because in, in, where we grew up, when the, when the parents were away, that's the house there was a party in. And then we brought our records and then we just, it was just listening to, to rock music all night, drinking and awesome. that's how we sort of bonded around music, you know, it was yeah. really cool. But music kind of, it's like, even with the parting was like the center. Yeah, absolutely. The central point. It, it was, it was, let's listen to this and let's move on to that, some air guitar here and you know. Yeah, yeah. It was just, and then let's check this out, let's check this out. The parties were more for checking your music out. It was really cool. So it's actually quite productive. Yeah, it was. As well. Because it, it sinks in as well, because you're yeah. young and 
it's profound these things and, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it really sinks is. in and now when we record all these early influences come out kind of natural now that's kind of cool so yeah yeah and you can i mean you can hear those influences in what you went on to do but then you know you brought your own your own spin, spin yeah so from that point where you guys were rehearsing and you guys were called force mm. you know at what point did you start gigging um, or did or was it or did things happen fairly quickly um, you know from what I understand it was like a talent contest that you guys won and you ended up becoming far bigger than the talent contest yeah we we probably started rehearsing three or four years before that talent contest um, it was sent in by a friend of ours so we didn't even know so we got a letter saying you're supposed to come in and play your songs it was like two I don't know, 2,000 bands sending tapes, cassette tapes. Wow. 80 bands got to play various venues. and 80 vote bands. 80 bands, various venues, got be voted by the people in, in, the, in the room to move on to quarterfinal, semifinal. And, and then it was a final, and we were like, we won it. And Did you play, like, was it like Battle of the Band style, like where you literally both play on the same night? Yeah, two songs for every band. So it was like six bands a night. Or I don't remember how many, but two songs we played. We played In the Future to Come and The King Will Return on the final. It was TV broadcast at the final as well. And it was just like a surreal thing. We won it and the prize was to record an album. And this was 83. So things had begun out in Europe and Japan. The Flappard, Iron Maiden, there was, things, there, was, there was things brewing in the hard rock world, definitely, 83 on the back of Back in Black and all that. It, it, yeah. it was just like, it was happening. But Sweden didn't really have a band and we were sort of coming from nowhere, from the suburbs. We didn't even come from Stockholm where the final was held, being held. We came from the suburbs and just made it, made that record and kids liked it. That was the first Europe album, yeah. Yeah, and from, and from so from that early, early run, um, I mean, obviously, there, there are the big hits that everybody knows. Again, I just mm. want to like ask you what what songs do you think from that period that are kind of more deep cuts? Do you think people early stuff? Seven Doors Hotel became like a anthem in Japan, but also with fans. They still love us. That's from the first album. It's one of the first album we wrote. First songs we wrote for the first Europe album. So it's a very early jam. Seven Doors Hotel. The next album, Wings for Tomorrow. We recorded in ABBA studio in Stockholm on, on off-peak hours. We didn't have any money, so we had to go in late at night or weekends. Or, and there's a few tracks there that caught CBS Epic's attention in New York. That was Open Your Heart. And uh, there was a rocker on there called Scream of Anger that, that people like a lot. But Wings of Tomorrow uh, made it happen for us. People thought, started talking about the band out in the world as well. That was our second album, Wings of Tomorrow. And third album, Final Countdown, so that, that was... I mean, that's just... Yeah. The, yeah we, were then signed, they were then signed to Epic New York on yeah. that album, and they recommended Journey's producer, Kevin Elson, to come and see us in Stockholm, and we did pre-production, and, and then we recorded in Switzerland. Kevin wanted to take us out in the middle of nowhere so we couldn't party, because he's visited us. <laughs> earlier <laughs> we did pre-production and we took him out drinking maybe a bit too much so he thought let's go to midland just outside zurich there's a small place 
with just one restaurant and you sleep in the studio, guys. So we did that's where we <laughs> recorded Final Countdown. Keep some discipline. Yeah, yeah. It was probably good. It was probably yeah. good. Well, it is a class, I mean, as well as being a big, you know, obviously, you, does, it, does it ever get to you? I, I find myself asking this to, to a lot of people who I interview because they have such massive tracks that, like, mm. everybody knows them. Even people who aren't massive Europe fans mm. know that record. And, yeah, and, yeah, and sure. it's the case with a lot of bands with their biggest hits. Does it, does it ever annoy you to, to, like, have that stand out as such a big big hit and people reference that or do you just think you know it's a great record and I, and I love it and then I love the, the other stuff too it's kind of difficult because you write the songs and they become part of you and when you write them they're they're part of the album and you don't know what's going to happen to it so it becomes part of you and and you like the song you think it's special I remember thinking Final Countdown was special when I, pl- I had the demo for it, I played the guy played to the guys this is kind of cool different but you never know, and that you form a relationship with the song quite early. So therefore, you don't lose that relationship with it. I kind of liked it. It was different. It was a bit avant-garde for being a rock band, guitar rock band. It was kind of yeah. different because there was the keyboard. Yeah, because there was a guitar shop we used to go to in Stockholm to buy, you know, amps, cabinets, or just try guitars, just sit for hours. And they've opened up, the next door was a keyboard department. So there was Oberheims, there were Korgs, there were, there were, um, there were Japanese and, and American keyboards. All of a sudden, as a songwriter, I was like, I have, I have to try that. I'm going to bring some home. And that's how it started. It was more as a tool to write songs. And that's how songwriters are. A new bass, a new guitar, a new keyboard. Therefore, uh, the riff Final Countdown came late one night, just checking out a, a sound on a cork. And then I kept it. I recorded a small demo on the Porta studio, one minute long, and kept it on cassette. And when we did the third album, the guys have heard it, and they were like, why don't we try to do something around that? So then I used the influences I had at the time. I remember listening to British rock a lot at times, so the tempo was kind of British, the, the, the galloping thing. Uh, lyrically was inspired by Space Oddity because I was a big Bowie fan and that was the first single I bought and I thought this could be about leaving Earth and it's similar to Space Oddity. And yeah. So that was, those are the few things and sitting there in my studio just experimenting with, with people. And, and so you wrote that riff, that was, you actually wrote it on a keyboard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Way before we recorded, years before. Yeah, I mean it's like got to be one of the, the catchiest yeah. hooks in a, in a, in a, in a I rock wasn't, song ever. Yeah, I wasn't good enough to write a song around that riff at that early stage. I just knew the riff was great to keep. So yeah. I had it with me and, for a few more years. That, yeah. Yeah. And how has your songwriting process evolved? Cause you, so when did you first start? Were you like literally like 13 or even younger? I was younger when I started writing songs. I, so I loved it, I loved it. I heard Elton John, Motta Hoople, David Bowie on the radio and without knowing that it was a skill or without knowing it was something, I, I emulated it. I, I learned how to play piano and guitar by hearing things. And I didn't want to become a virtuous. I, I like putting chords together. And my mom said I <clears throat> sometimes wrote some lyric lines and poems very early on. I think I learned how to play guitar when I was eight and nine, eight or nine, and then piano around nine, ten. And in school, I, sometimes if there was piano school, I would sit there and I would play for my friends some songs I've written. So that it was just a, a love for songwriting and, and playing something back. You know? 
that's yeah that's yeah. really cool and mm. like seriously quite a year mm. young it seems like yeah. a young age to start from um, when, when it comes to the tracks on, on the final countdown record you know are there any that, that stand out for you as, as your favourite or or are they, are they I mean I guess they're the kind of like bedrock of your set yeah some of the songs we play all the time final countdown rock the night carry Cherokee sometimes uh, I, I do like Heart of Stone Ninja we play sometimes especially now we were in Japan we play Ninja they love it there um, Time Has Come I think it's a great track uh it was a it was a good album. We, songwriting were coming together on the third album. You know, it was sort of the songs are getting into it. And uh, I mean, because obviously you guys know how to rock out, but uh, I mean, Carrie's like a really beautiful song. Yeah, like it's a, it's like a hymn. When we came back in two thousand and four, we used to play that just me and Mick. I had an acoustic guitar and he played keyboard. We did that for a few years live. Um, probably because of the reaction, a little bit of our own reaction to the 80s production kind of yeah. thing. That, that doesn't bother us so much anymore, but it was a period there when we were trying to, let's move Get on. Away let's that. move on and let's learn more about the depth of recording, engineers, mic microphone techniques. And we really, we've been on that journey for years now. So there was a point there where we just scale it down. And Wanted as you say, they strip it back. And then you realize it's quite good melodies. It's quite a nice song. It's an unbelievably good melody, that yeah. song, I would Mi say. Mick and I wrote that in rehearsal when everybody left one night. And we just, um, he played it. So did you co-write co it? Yeah, we came up with it. I, I sort of went home and finished it. Finished it all yeah. the bits and pieces. That's usually what happens these days, too. And, and so did you write the lyrics to that? Yeah. yeah. I the movie Carrier had been out and I like the way the um, it, the word hits when yeah, you say it. It's, it is. it's a good word to sing. Yeah. It is. It just, and it's got one of those, those there was choruses a, there, that you, there was you're just like hope. Like the first time I heard it I was just like I hope it's going to do this in the chorus and then it like was even better than I was expecting. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was like I, a girl, I only heard it yeah. like three years ago or something. It was honestly it was, yeah, I'm still listening to it. It's kind of funny. There's a Swedish, I think it was a Swedish band, but a girl band who sang it. And they, they didn't sing Carrie, they sang Gary. <laughs> it doesn't really work as well, I think. It do, it's not as, yeah, it doesn't have the same mystical yeah. quality to it. Yeah. Um, but so do you, do you ever tire of singing like those ones that are just like, they mean so much to people? Or do you just love, love playing live so much that still... Not if we change, if we change, change them the around and strip them back and do different things with them and maybe get the audience to sing a chorus and do, do a few different things, then it doesn't bother us. We really like playing most of those tracks live. Live yeah. is a different, it's an energy. You get energy back from the audience. You, you get in the zone. After three or four songs, I'm, I'm somewhere else, alternative place. And yeah. that's where everything happens. You're completely free and everybody there is involved. Those songs mean something. I wouldn't prob probably put those on on my vinyl player. I, you know, I wouldn't yeah. sing them in the shower or, but they mean something live. Once you're playing live. Yeah. So and it's like better than hearing them like on the radio or in like the yeah. cafe or whatever. Yeah. Like, no, that doesn't do it much for me. Yeah. But when you're but singing playing it and singing it, let those notes go through your body and, and out to the audience and come back. And all those people yeah. going mad as yeah, well. Yeah, then it, you get that energy back. It's great. And, uh, yeah, so, so you talked about the 80s, so 80s like, cause obviously you guys are quite synonymous with, with you know, the 80s, like, hard rock and, 
and, yeah. and there's and there's that element with the key, with the keyboards to that production. Yeah. And you talk about like getting you know getting away from that somewhat. Uh, but you also mentioned that you now feel a bit more comfortable with that. Um, I mean, it couldn't. It's actually pretty like in fashion that like that thing now. Like going back to the eighties and like digging that. And do you sure. ever feel like in 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 hindsight that maybe you guys shouldn't have been so like you know thinking oh we need to strip it back or whatever and that you know what you guys or no. do you just like doing a bit of both no it's we we've gone on a different journey since we started 2004 we all had a different mindset let's do this long term and move on so what we've learned a lot about is recording technique instruments keyboards guitars and detuning and, and moved on and pick the best engineers and producers you can I mean that's a if bands knew how important that was, we would have more bands succeeding. Recording techniques and working with the right people is essential. So we've done that, uh, we've been on this journey and what we've learned about keyboards is that everything has its time when it works best on the radio, what people want to hear, but that also moves on organically. And funny enough, the best keyboards right now are Mellotron. That goes back to the 60s. They go back way back. We use a lot of Mellotron. We use a lot of Hammond. And some other keyboards and piano. Organic keyboards. And that really, it sits better with us. It sits better in time. Um, if you hear people really using 80 sounds with their hard rock now, it's, oh, ooh, hang on a second, it's been done, it was great. Yeah. So what you got to do is you got to be smart and you got to learn about your craft. And that's what we've been trying to do. That's so why we, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we moved away completely. We can't record like that anymore. We did an album called Bag of Bones. That was a breaking point for us with Kevin Shirley in Stockholm in an old studio. And we actually had a silent minute for the 80s and the, <laughs> and the recording techniques. Then we said, we're, we're moving on. But we also realized that live, we use some of those sounds. We, we let that energy flow for everybody. It's just that it, when it. you create in the studio, you, you want you, to move on. You got to dig deeper and move on. And you don't yeah. want to copy anything, you know, then, then. You can't fool people. You got you to be clever. You got to move Keep on. Keep on trying to be yeah. original. Yeah. 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 So, what, so what, are your, what are your future plans for Europe? What are, you, what are you guys excited to, to do next? Well, there are a few things. We, we get asked a lot about a film or documentary. So that's one thing in the future that's there for That'd us to do. Yeah. I mean, there's the early years of, of uh, Upland's Vespi in Stockholm and how hard rock really started to happen and uh, around the world as well. So there's a lot to be told there. And then later on, survivors maybe of classic rock, like the band Europe, original members. We've done six new albums now. We did five the first period. We won a Grammy in Sweden the other year. We've never won anything like that. It's amazing, you know, and we're on this, like you mentioned earlier, the last two, three albums have just felt really, really good. And, and uh, we're, on, we're in a good place. So we're, gonna, we're just gonna keep going, touring, um, How many shows are you doing a year at the moment? It varies. Very, yeah. It varies, but it's quite a lot. We we work quite hard. Yeah. Walk the earth is feels like you want to walk the earth. Feels like you want to go to all the places. What we have left is South America. We got America left. We just came from Japan. We did Australia, UK, Europe, Scandinavia. So we're working on walking the earth at the moment and <laughs> uh, recording next year follow up 
hopefully with Dave again and learn more about music and move on. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs>